Morning, everybody. So, um, if you've got your printout of our theme verse, we'll look at it. Or if you have a New American Standard Version of the Bible. John 20, verse 31. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. As we've looked at this verse, and so many times you've either heard uh, Dad and I say that, okay, well, this chapter is really going really gonna to reflect that purpose. And the same is true today in John chapter 9, which is where we'll be. And uh, I like this chapter for a number of reasons. It is uh, somewhat self-contained in the sense that we have uh, a complete account of a particular historical event. Um, although it is definitely set in the context of uh, Jesus who has been in Jerusalem and he's still in Jerusalem. Um, We haven't heard from his disciples in a while, um, but we'll find out that they are um, with him uh, at this point. And um, we're going to... um, Try to see if my computer's working. Uh, we're going to try to um, walk through this, but there's several things that just to kind of keep in mind. So first of all, all of these accounts, these signs, uh, these miracles that uh, we hear John present to us or that we read as John presents them to us, they are there for a reason, right? They are there for a reason. He is making a presentation. Um, He is, in essence, speaking to a group, and he's trying to make a point. We just heard what his point was, and almost like an attorney presenting a case to the jury, okay, here's the next exhibit. Let's peel back and look what Jesus did with this one particular blind man. And what can we learn from this? And so just kind of have in mind that John is, um, he's trying to make a point. He's definitely trying to make a point. And not that the other authors of the Gospels weren't also trying to make a point, but we get a little bit more of kind of a historical, chronological flow from them, right? We kind of get the impression from them that they're wanting to lay down a proper account of things. In fact, Luke comes out and says that that's the reason he's writing his gospel, so he can lay that historical um, information down. But John has a different motive. He wants us to really understand um, the, the why behind things. So just, just keep that in mind, as, as I know you have this whole time. So in chapter 9 of John, verse 1, it says, As he passed by, this is 
Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, so now enter the disciples, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So this is a big assumption here, right? I mean, they just say, um, who sinned, this man or his parents? So what's not said there, but is clearly assumed, this man was born blind, somebody must have done something, right? Um, their concept generally was if something bad had happened to a person, then it was the result of sin. And in a way, they're kind of right, in a way. I mean, it all goes back to original sin. It all goes back to Adam when things just went sideways for the all of history. Um, but the assumption was somebody did something. Apparently, there was a thinking back in the day, for example, let's say a mom, while she was pregnant, went and worshipped at a pagan temple. Then it was assumed that the child she was carrying was, in essence, also partaking in the worship at that temple. So this thinking about who sinned, um, was it the child blind from birth, right? So they're saying the child before he was born, while he was in the womb, he sinned, right? And so that sounds a little strange to our ears, but that was consistent with the thinking of the day. Who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? I think it's interesting that the disciples with all that they've seen and all that they've seen Jesus do, they didn't come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, this guy's been blind from birth. We know what you can do. Come on over here. Let's see what you got. You know, let's try to help this guy, right? No, this was just a, a kind of a rabbi rhetorical question sort of thing as they're walking by this guy. Well, Jesus sidesteps their particular question in verse 3, and he goes on, and he says, Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming when no man can work. So this is a troubling verse in verse 3. On the one hand, we find out, okay, it was not this man or his parents, but depending on how you take this, it's like, well, he was born blind. He's lived this, you know, just this horrible life, being blind back in that day, just so God could show up at the last minute and get glory. That sounds, that sounds weird, right? I mean, that doesn't sound to our ears um, that that just fits with the God that we think of. Some people have gotten around this, um, and apparently there are, you know, smart people who believe this way, that say that the sentence or the versing has actually been divided wrong. They say one way properly in the Greek to consider this is to say it like this. Jesus answered, it was not that, that this man sinned or his parents, Period. 
but that the works of God might be displayed in him, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. In other words, you know, it wasn't his fault. But he's moving on to say, but we need to get about trying to do the work that's before us, right? To bring the kingdom of God down to earth and, and to do this work. So it's a little bit different emphasis, but there's something attractive about that reading. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. In other words, he knows, and this is referring to his time on earth, he knows that his days are short. Right? By the time he makes it to Jerusalem, we're thinking at this stage of the game, it's probably a good year, year and a half into his earthly, his three-year earthly ministry. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to accelerate. It's going to move along pretty quickly. So there's some urgency here. Verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Again, the focus is his earthly ministry. Does he cease to be the light of the world when he's ascended? Of course not. Um, but he's saying uh, this is the time that we, that we have. Verse 6, having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. So several things here. Um, Apparently, it was considered that the saliva of a healer had healing properties. I haven't tested this. Um, I tried to keep my saliva out of other people's persons. But apparently this was considered kind of a thing. And if you were fasting, if the, if the healer was fasting at the time, then their saliva was considered to be even more powerful in whatever way. So she brings up a. <laughs> so I thought as I read this, just how much spit do you have to have to make enough putty or mud to cover two eyeball sockets? That's more than I have right now, trust me. <laughs> um, but. There we go. Uh, this is a uh, real world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground, made mud with his saliva. So this is this is going to be important as we see in a little while. Um, apparently, it was fine to. Apparently, there's already been a rule on this in the Talmud. The the um, all the explanatory notes for all these six hundred and some odd rules that the Pharisees had added by this time. Apparently, the footnote said it was okay to spit in someone's eyes and heal them on the Sabbath. But this process of working the spit into the dirt and making, or clay or whatever it was, and, and making the, uh, oh, it says spit on the ground, that process of, was called, they said, well, that comes under the kneading clause. Like if you're kneading dough, you know, you're not supposed to knead on the Sabbath. So this was, 
in this little detail that John puts in here, that he made mud with the slime and said, oh, he was kneading. So just think about that. One other thing to think about, this verse 1 where it says, he saw a man blind from birth. So you're going to start to see John building his theme. So let your mind think about, okay, we're hearing a story about a physical healing. A person who was blind but now can see. In essence, his life was never the same after that, right? In essence, he got a new life right then. He was blind from birth. As spiritually, we are all spiritually blind from birth. So you can overlay chapter 9 with chapter 3. So as we're hearing about this blind man, blind from birth, who's getting a new birth, a new life, now that he can see, Think about Nicodemus about this when he's been told you have to be born again, right? And when we studied John 3, we talked about that it was a, you know, remember the the verse said, unless you're born of water and the spirit, that it was the spirit water birth, right? Um, And so... As this flows into, it says, Then he anointed the man's eyes. I'm in verse 7 now. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So, he's going to a pool named Sent. And he's sent there by a man, slash God, who was also sent in order to bring new life just as this man is going to get his new life when he goes and does what Jesus says. So as you start to think about your John and you know of this story as he's thinking his decades after Jesus of what book he's going to write to teach the story of Jesus and why he came oh yeah this one's going in the book. This, this story is definitely going in the book because look at all that it teaches. All right, so just think about that. Verse 8. Just to, to back up, if you think about this chapter in, in sections, and you guys have probably already read this, this first section we kind of hear what happened between Jesus and disciples and the, and the, the man. Right? Well, this next section is going to be this series of questionings. So we've got just some casual bystanders that saw what happened and they have questions. Then the Pharisees get a hold of the guy. They have questions for him, which aren't fully satisfied. We're going to find out. Then they have questions for his parents, which are also, they're not satisfied with that. And then they have questions for him again. So there's this big section of interrogation. And then at the end, uh, Jesus has a few questions. So just think about that. Verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, 
Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some says, yep, that's him. Others said, no, he just looks like him. I'm paraphrasing. Look what he says. I won't paraphrase this. He kept saying, I am the man. Probably no accident that John includes this I am phrase, right? Because some commentators have made the point that even though we don't hear from Jesus for a little while, in some ways, this man almost becomes a stand-in for Jesus in a way. Because now you have all these people saying, who is this guy? Well, that's what they were doing with Jesus, right? Who is this guy? And then we know that he ultimately gets in biggest trouble for saying, I am the man. Um, and then there are going to be people wondering, what do we do with this guy? And who is it? Anyway, you'll, you'll see some of the parallels. He kept saying, I am the man. So verse, this is verse 10. So they said to him, well, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, well, where is he? He said, I don't know. Verse 13. Now, I'm not sure exactly why the neighbors and the lookers-on felt compelled to um, involve the Pharisees. Uh, I really, I don't know that we really know that. I, um, we know that the Romans had ultimate civil rule, but on minor matters, they kind of let the religious team, you know, the Sanhedrin and so forth, they kind of let them handle small things. So in verse 13, it says, They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, we get this detail, verse 14. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees, they also have questions. It says, The Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Now this is like the third time we've heard what happened, right? And some of the Pharisees said, Well, well, this man is not from God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Clearly, these people are sticklers for the law. But there were others who said, well, how can a man be a sinner if he does such signs, right? So they're at least saying, well, yeah, but look at what he does. You're looking at how he does it, but look at what he does. And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, well, what do you say about him since he's opened your eyes? He says, well, he's a, he's a prophet. And as we go through this, you can start to see the evolution of where this guy is as he's thinking through all this. All these questions that people keep asking him, and he's having to respond to these, you'll see they have basically the effect of he's kind of processing this. He's working through this in his mind. What, what happened to me and why did it happen and who did it? And I mean, he's, he's going to, in essence, we're going to see him grow and process this right before our very eyes. Verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind 
and that he had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. Um, when someone gets confronted with information that they don't want to hear, what's your first move? You question the data, right? You question, no. Yeah, I, I know you heard that, but surely that can't be true, right? We question the data. We, we, we just, no, that can't be right. And that was what they did. You can't be right. So they went and called the parents. And they asked him, verse 19, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he'll speak for himself. Now, we've, we talked early on in John that occasionally John would put these little parenthetical remarks, in fact, my Bible even has it in parentheses, where he adds this explanatory content to help his readers understand a little bit behind the scenes of why a person might have done what they did. And we get one of those here. It says, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So it was already known. I mean, think about it, right? So Jesus has already made a few waves, right? He's already, remember when, when we just finished up with chapter 8, and he had the I am thing in verse 59. So they picked up stones to throw at him. They were going to stone him for blasphemy. And he basically disappears. Oh, that would have been cool. So the words gone out um, that the Jews are not, they're not liking this Jesus thing that's happening. And, and word was out. If you start following Jesus, if you start saying he's a Christ, then we're kicking you out too. So that was why the, the parents, they didn't want to say anything. They said, ask him. Verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. So by this time, I guess the evidence is overwhelming that they know there have been just too many witnesses, the Pharisees that is, that Jesus is the man that they're talking about and that the man who was healed was truly blind from birth, all right? So they've established those facts that were inconvenient to them, but at least they've acknowledged that to this point. So now they're going to kind of quibble with was this even of God or not? So they're trying to get the the um, the blind man to uh, to say something uh, incriminating, I suppose. So verse twenty five, he answered, "Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I do know: that though I was blind, now I see." Well, they said to him, "Well, well, what did he do to you? How did he open his eyes?" He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. 
Why do you want to hear it again? And then he gets a little snotty, which is funny. <laughs> do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> In other words, if you're so curious about his method, are you trying to, like, you know, do what he did? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciples, his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses, right? We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. Which, if you think about it, was kind of a big admission that they would admit their kind of stupidity about this. But they probably did know where he came from, right? I mean, he's been circulating around. Everybody knew he was from the region of Galilee. They... They knew who he hung around with. They knew that those guys were fishermen from up that way. Um, they just probably didn't want to admit it. But it was worth it to them to look stupid rather than to admit that they did. I think that's interesting. Verse 30. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from. And yet he opened my eyes like you guys aren't so smart after all and then he goes on this little you, you realize this guy has maybe has been hanging out by the synagogue he's maybe you know and I, I don't know if this is because he's regenerated um, or he's in the process of working I don't know but he comes out with some pretty amazing comments here We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper for God and God does his will, I'm sorry, and does his will, God listens to him. And he says, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. In other words, he started off saying he was a prophet and now he's progressed and basically saying he's from God. If this man were not for God, he could do nothing. So now he's put it back on them to explain is he from God or not? Well, they're not to have this. They say, well, you were born in utter sin. So they're buying into the old model, right? They're saying, well, you know, you were born blind. Clearly, you were born in sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. There is a section of commentators who are probably just a little too big for their britches who try to make the point that that some of the things that are in John maybe didn't happen exactly the way John says they did and that they were somehow altered or presented in such a way 
to make more sense to the audience that John was speaking to at that time, you know, close to, to 50 or 60 years after these events. And this phrase, and they cast him out, is used in support of that. I won't go into it a lot, but apparently some of the language there about being banned from the synagogue um, was language about something that didn't really happen until many decades later. But then the more conservative and probably the majority of commentators say, well, number one, it doesn't say they cast him out of the synagogue. It could just mean they cast him out of their presence. Um, and uh, the other thing is, it could just be that they were making good on this threat, that they were going to kick anybody out that said that Jesus was a Christ. Uh, in other words, people are saying, you're building way too much on just a few phrases here. So, uh, just for what it's worth. Verse 35. So Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? So, when the man was healed, remember, he had mud put on his eyes. He still can't see. He makes his way to the pool of Siloam. Still can't see until he washes. So now he is not where he was before. He still hasn't seen Jesus. He still doesn't know what the man looks like. So for the only spot in the entire New Testament is the word or the phrase son of man used in kind of a confessional way where someone would be asked to say I believe you're the son of man because remember this was a a phrasing that that were that was a phrase that Jesus kind of called himself and it came from the book of Daniel and it was it was kind of a if you think about it, it's kind of a cool phrase because he could claim to be the son of man but it wasn't an easy thing for the Pharisees to get all hot bothered about but here he uses it directly to this man he says do you believe in the son of man and he answered and says who is he sir that I may believe in him and Jesus said to him verse 37 you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you and he said Lord I believe in verse 36 he said called him sir respectful just called him sir but here he calls him Lord. He says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Now this is a Jew who would have never worshiped anyone but the one true God, right? Would start every day, the Lord our God is one, right? That's what they said. So when it says he worshiped him, he knows what he's doing. He has, he has now had... When we talked about this, that he was blind from birth, right? But in fact, the whole story starts with the narrator, John, saying this man was blind from birth. And it, the section ends with the Pharisees saying, well, you were blind from birth, born in sin. 
But here we have Jesus just, we, we see this transition, this new life. Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And then verse 39, it says, Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. Interesting. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? I mean, they just really missed the point here, right? Anyway. Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. He's telling them, you've had a front row seat to everything that's happened here. You've seen a man who was blind from birth, which we know that John is saying spiritually dead, and you've seen him get a new life. He's got vision now. I mean... That's a miracle even today, and we hear of stories occasionally, you know, like maybe someone, you know, who doesn't have access to medical care, and a medical mission shows up with some ophthalmologists, and there are children that are born with congenital cataracts who literally have been blind from birth, and they go in and take their cataracts away, and they can literally see for the very first time. So we actually hear of these modern-day miracles today, and it's still amazing to us today. They've done amazing studies on some of these people and because their brain is developed in such a way that when they think of a tree, they don't think of seeing a tree. They think of how they've perceived it in other ways and how their brain has takes a long time for them to catch up and to match the images that they are now receiving with the things that they've already cataloged. It's really amazing. So all that's happened and the Pharisees have been witness to this They've quizzed people about it. People have stuck to their story. This guy's even pushed back a little bit, made them think about their story, put them on the defensive. And you know, when, when somebody walks out of the room or kicks you out of the room, they've lost the argument, right? That's what happened, right? They didn't have anything to say. Well, well no, you're out of here. That's, that's all they had. They were, they, were out of, they were out of arguments. Um, Are we also blind? <laughs> you got to think Jesus was saying, you said it. Yes, actually, you are also blind. Um, he almost seems to say, if you would admit you were blind, there's some hope for you. But since you claim to see, You're guilty. So, let's go back through the themes that we've looked at. As we've seen in the other chapters, we have Jesus being shown as the light of the world, right? If you go back to verse 5, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So we have... 
Jesus making the point that without him, the whole world is spiritually in the dark. We have this man, blind from birth, who himself has literally been in the dark. We have Jesus saying that part of the, I need to get about the work I'm doing. I need to get after it. Some of that work happens to be giving men blind from birth new eyes, i.e. giving people in the dark new life. Um, and again, if you overlay this with this born again theme that, that he introduced to us back in chapter 3 with Nicodemus, this is, this is John showing a complete conversion story that he only hinted at in chapter 3. Right? So you go back, and I think it's interesting, right? It's all about what you look toward, right? Verse 16 of John 3 For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him that is, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. So that's our Pharisees, right? They did not believe. Verse 19, and this is a judgment. The light has come into the world. He's the light of the world. We just saw that. But people love the darkness rather than the light. That theme is continuing. We saw prior to that, verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And the whole point was, that's who you look to. So these spiritual eyes looking to the light, it's just all coming together. So we have John hinting at what this new spirit birth was going to look like in chapter 3. And now in chapter 9, we have the whole package. We have the man recognizing his need. We have him believing that Jesus is who he said he was. We have him bowing down and worshiping him. As this whole regenerative process is going on and he's realizing who Jesus really is, so much so that he is able to go toe-to-toe with these rabbis or Sanhedrin or Pharisees or whoever saying, you know, if this man wasn't from God, how could he do what he's doing? You got, you know, you're asking me who he is. I don't know, but you tell me where he's from. So as we continue to unfold things, as we go through John, you're going to see these these themes coming out. So we've had the I'm the light of the world. Chapter 10 is going to be I am the shepherd. Right? So another facet, another way of looking at who Jesus is. Um, but as John is, is trying to follow through on his top or his uh, purpose, I'm going to show you who Jesus is, not just for history, but that, so that you can also believe. And that's, that's where he... Uh, that's where he uh, just makes such great use of this particular chapter. It's good to walk through this.
What'd y'all get? 